Hello and welcome to ROE 17 Pod. My name is Mark Jontry and I am the Regional Superintendent of Schools for our Regional Office of Education Number 17. Today joining me is Molly Allen, our Assistant Regional Superintendent, and our guest is Janet Moore, a math instructional coach on our team. In her curriculum development and professional development endeavors, Janet emphasizes an inquiry-based, SEL-focused approach to mathematics instruction that allows students and teachers to understand mathematical concepts through meaningful experiences. With that, let's get started and welcome Janet. To begin, could you kind of tell us what is a math instructional coach and how do you serve our schools? Thanks, Mark, and thanks for having me. Um, Absolutely. A math instructional coach is someone who's here to help teachers as they are working to be better at providing meaningful learning experiences in math for students. A lot has changed in the world of math education from when most of us were in classrooms. And so a lot of teachers find themselves in positions where they have to relearn their craft. They they can't rely on what they have always done and what they've always experienced to provide the best instructional opportunities for students. And so they find themselves having to relearn what is math? What does a math classroom look like? What does it mean to be successful in math? And how do students interact with mathematics in ways that will make them maximize their success? Thank you, Janet. And you talked about math has changed. And could you give us a little more information on what those changes are in both the instruction and delivery of math education in the past five, 10 years, or maybe even longer? Absolutely. Really, the changes extend far, farther back than five or ten years. There have been pushes for the way we approach math in the United States of America for several decades, but those pushes really kind of came to a head um, when Common Core came out and was adopted by many states in the country. Common Core has really provided some accountability for schools and teachers to think about not just the answers when it comes to math problems, but the kind of thinking that our students are doing, the ways that they understand math. I like to summarize it as we're not trying to turn all of our students into little computers or calculators. Instead, we're trying to help them develop as fully formed, fully functioning human beings. And the the human aspects of mathematics are things like problem solving, persevering, being creative, but also being critical thinkers, being good communicators of their ideas and good listeners to the ideas of other people, being able to make connections between the math that they learn in the classroom and the world that they see around them, being able to understand what resources they have available to them at any given moment and and be proficient in using those resources, being efficient with their work without losing the understanding of their work. So when we approach math, we really are more focused on the process than the answer alone. And that doesn't mean that the answer is unimportant, but it means that I don't want want to have a classroom full of students who can come up with an answer 
but they don't know what it means. They can't explain why it's the answer. They, they can't explain how they got it or how they're confident in it. Um, I would much rather have a classroom of students who have really good ideas. They're working to understand problems and to get creative in the ways that they think about them, but Maybe they aren't 100% successful in getting the correct answer all the time yet. I would much rather have students who are working on developing good strategies, and then as we refine those strategies, they get all better answers than students who can come up with some answers, but they don't really have good strategies that will serve them in the long term. Thank you, Janet. One of the things that you frequently talk about is the changes in mathematical practices. Could you give us a couple examples of what those math practices are and how that instruction might be different today versus how most of us grew up doing math? Yes, absolutely. And and that's a perfect follow-up question because those math practices really highlight the human aspects of mathematical work. So one of the math practices is that we want students to make sense of problems and persevere in solving them. And another one is that we want students to be able to reason abstractly and quantitatively. These math practices are what Common Core has identified as the priorities in every single math classroom. And so what that means is that I might walk into a math classroom and I might say, all right, students, today, Our goal is to become better perseverers. We're going to work on our problem solving. We're going to work on our perseverance because not every problem that you encounter in life will come with a step-by-step instruction guide on how to solve it. And so today, I'm going to give you a, a math problem that you probably can't solve. You probably can't finish. And that's okay for today because today's goal is to practice being creative, to practice trying to make sense of the problem, to practice our perseverance and not giving up when things get tough. And then as we go through the the lesson or through the unit, we'll eventually get to some places where we learn how to solve that type of problem. But along the way, we're building up those human elements that are important for success in life and in careers and in future classes. The other one that I mentioned was learning to reason abstractly and quantitatively. We don't want a whole bunch of students who only can think about a problem in one way who only have one way of of tackling a certain task. We want students who are flexible. We want them to be able to, to look at a problem and say, well, I could approach it in this way or I could go this other way instead Um, because if they run into an obstacle, if they hit a wall using one approach, we don't want that to be the end of the story. We don't want that to be a, a reason for them to give up. We want them to have enough flexibility so that they can say, well, that approach didn't work out on this particular problem, so let me try another one instead. And those are those are some of our mathematical practices. Again, another one of them is being able to communicate our ideas and and engage in good, productive arguments when other people disagree with us. And in math, that's kind of nice because usually, not always, but usually there is one correct final answer. But engaging in a conversation about it and saying, well, here's what I think it is, but you tell me what you think it is and let's explain it and let's work it out and let's make sense of it together provides us opportunities for having productive disagreements and engaging in productive discourse in other more gray areas and other disciplines or areas of life. 
Janet, can you talk a little bit about, as you work with teachers in your role as an instructional coach, what, if any, obstacles do do teachers have in terms of maybe things, especially newer teachers as they've come out of preparatory programs at the university level, that you're helping them navigate and work through as an instructional coach around math? Sure thing. There are several of them. One of the obstacles that we find is as I mentioned earlier, just needing to relearn the math content for themselves. Because for most of us, when we went through our own math courses, we were taught, here's a procedure. A typical math class went like this. The teacher stands up and says, all right, today I'm going to show you how to do this thing. Here's step one. Here's step two. Here's step three. Write it down in your notes. Here's an example problem. I'll show you how to do it. And then after I show you a couple, I'm going to give you 20 problems for you to try it on your own and mimic what you saw from me. And what we're asking teachers to do instead in their instructional approach is to kind of flip that script. And instead of thinking that that procedure is the lesson, thinking about problem solving as the lesson. So instead giving students a scenario and asking them, what do you notice? What do you, what can you observe? Can you find any patterns? How do you think about this? Where have you seen this type of problem or scenario in the real world? Or where could we see it in the real world? What would make sense here? What wouldn't make sense here? And that goes for calculations as well as as solving equations or, or doing something with geometry. We want students to look at a problem And before they ever try to start step one of a procedure, we want them to make sense of the problem. We want them to ask, what do I already know about this? Or what can I figure out about it on my own before I start to apply any procedure? And then as students start to sort of chip away and make sense of that problem, over time, the teacher becomes just a facilitator. They become a facilitator for guiding student thinking and facilitating student conversations instead of the the holder of all knowledge and the, the giver of all of those shortcuts and algorithms. As students start to work through some of those things, the teacher can eventually guide the students to see that procedure for themselves or to discover it or to find value in it, but it's not the most important part of the lesson. And sometimes it becomes an irrelevant part of the lesson. There are a lot of shortcuts that we were all taught as as math students that once students are taught how to think in math instead of just use a shortcut, they often don't want the shortcut because the shortcut is something that isn't all that helpful if you actually understand what's happening with the mathematics. That's a great, great answer. And, and kind of to segue in that, how can mom and dad, how can families integrate math easily into their home life to make math less intimidating and more accessible for kids? Ah, that's fantastic. Um, Well, before I answer the question about the families, I'm going to loop back and include this in both families and teachers. Another big misconception that we continually find ourselves um, trying to address and fight with teachers and the community is what makes a good mathematician. And I want parents and teachers alike to understand that the best mathematicians are not the fastest ones. 
The best mathematicians are not the ones who get all the right answers all the time. The best mathematicians are not the ones who can do all of these calculations in their head without having to write anything down or draw a picture. In fact, it's just the opposite. The best mathematicians are the mathematicians who choose challenging things. They are not the ones for whom everything comes easily. They're the people who choose a good challenge and then really grapple with that challenge. The best mathematicians are the ones who actually think slowly and deeply. So there is no value in quick, shallow, easy answers. And so we don't want to, we don't want that to be our goal and we don't want to praise students for, for quick, um, easy thinking. We want to praise them and we want to value the problems or the, the calculations that they take their time with and that they, that they think through deeply and slowly and that they have a good conversation about. So parents at home, with that in mind, set the goal that having good conversations about math, especially when we're working with wrong answers or especially when, when we don't know the answers ourselves, that's a valuable experience. So if you as a parent don't feel super confident in your own math abilities or if you feel like, well, I don't know all the right answers or I'm not very fast at it myself, that actually makes you a wonderful candidate to have a good conversation about math with your student. So even um, just as you go about your daily life, um, Asking your, your, your child to, to do tasks with you, to count out some money with you, um, or to, um, to make a recipe with you. And as you go, having conversations, patient conversations, not trying to get to quick answers, but patient conversations about, well, um, how do you know that this set of coins is worth 27 cents? And then having a conversation about how the dimes are worth 10 and the, and the nickels are worth five and the pennies are worth one and thinking about creative ways to put those together. Having conversations about how to measure out um, three and three fourths cups of flour for a cookie recipe um, if I only have a one fourth sized cup measuring cup um, and, and talking through the thought processes of everyday um, tasks that involve math, but doing it in a, in a deliberate, slow, elaborate way and, and asking the student to be playful with it. If you are making a, a recipe and you just measured out three and three-fourths cups of flour, whether you need it for the recipe or not, get out a separate bowl and say, okay, now how would you measure out two and a half cups of flour with that same measuring cup. And just having the student try it and play with it and, and having them explain their thoughts out as they go is really helpful. Explain to me what you're doing while you're doing it so that I can, so that I can see what you're thinking or so that I can understand what you're thinking. Um, there really is math all around us. And there are good math conversations to have with students of all ages. A lot of adults today complain about students not being able to read an analog clock. And so just 
talking through, having a conversation of, hey, look at this clock. Let's, let's figure out what time it is together and go through your own thought process. Um, it not only is helpful for your student, but it helps you revisit that reading a clock is not a simple thing. It's not an easy thing. It's something that we've gotten used to, but it's not something that should be obvious or automatic for students. As you're driving down the road, looking at cars or, or semis and saying, hey, how many wheels do you think are on that semi? And the student might not have time to count all of them, but that helps, it challenges them to think about numbers and combinations and maybe counting by twos or thinking about groups of wheels instead of just counting by ones all of the time. Just doing math and having counting tasks incorporated into daily life are the best thing that you can do as a parent. And especially if it's stress-free, if it's playful, if it's enjoyable for you as well as the student, the worst thing that we can do at home um, to support students with math is to make it stressful, to make it something that you're arguing about, to make it something that's unpleasant for the students. That only causes them to have a bad attitude about math and to avoid it. But the more we can make it stress-free, enjoyable, playful, and something that we can bond over, the better our students will be. Janet, that's a great concluding statement. Uh, it's not, you know, to, to reinforce the parents as, yeah, this isn't anything to get in an argument over or wring our hands over, right? It's a learning opportunity always, and there's always opportunity for growth. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. This has been a great conversation and really appreciate you taking the time to really enlighten all of our listeners, be they parents, grandparents, you know, the, the public in general, on your role in really talking about math and, and what math looks like in our schools today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for another episode of ROE 17 Pod. To learn more about ROE 17, please visit www.roe17.org or follow us on our social media channels. ROE 17 Pod is produced and edited by Victoria Padilla. We hope that you join us for our next episode.